Welcome to the Atlanta Career Journey Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Varnadel, and this week's guest is Doug Norwood. He's Director of Enterprise Sales at Yext and one of my closest friends. I first met Doug at Shop Visible, and I was always impressed with his ability to see the business side of software development. He's always kept the customer in mind throughout the life cycle of a product and truly understands that sales is about building and maintaining relationships. I admire his character, his work ethic, and the ability to connect with every level of the business. We share a similar sense of humor, as well as a passion for golf and bourbon. And I always enjoy connecting with Doug, and today is no different. So, Doug, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Paul. Thanks for having me. Pleasure We're not drinking today, you. which is unfortunate, but... Uh, <laughs> we, we've had our share. <laughs> <laughs> always good bourbon. Exactly. Right. So, well, um, yeah, so welcome to the podcast. Um, you are, uh, you've got a great background in, um, in sales, but, uh, you know, you weren't originally from Atlanta. So tell me a little bit about your background. No, I, uh, I've lived in every time zone. I actually was born in Texas and uh, grew up in Oklahoma City, uh, went to college at Oklahoma State and um, meandered across America for a handful of years and, and uh, ended up in Atlanta with the Miller Brewing Company back in oh, 1987. And, uh, and so I've, I, I've been in and out of Atlanta three times based on jobs and, and family and things like that. But uh, okay. it's, uh, yeah, it's been, uh, I've seen a lot. I'm not sure I do it the same way again, but I've seen a lot. Yeah, that's great. So growing up in Texas, you decided to go to college in Oklahoma. So tell me mm -hmm. a little bit about how that decision came about and what, uh, what prompted you to change states? Well, uh, I was born outside of Dallas and uh, I'm adopted. And so my, my parents who uh, that's what they are. They're my parents mm -hmm. and I don't call them my adoptive parents. Um, they, um, my dad was a salesman. My mom was a, uh, we call them administrative assistants now, but she was a proud secretary and she'd say that to your face. Yep. And um, so we moved to Oklahoma when I was in grade school and uh, kind of, following the the herd, if you will, of, you know, some friends and, and other folks I knew that were going to Oklahoma State. And it was convenient. It was close. It was inexpensive. Uh, I had kind of become a fan of the Cowboys. And I, I don't know, there was just a connection there for me. Both of my older sisters went there okay, uh, as well. So it just, it seemed like a natural progression and uh, Stillwater was, uh, you know, just a lot of fun. Gotcha. So did you know what you uh, wanted to major in? Were you undecided or tell me about that process? No, I, uh, I, I knew I was uh, going to go into broadcast journalism. Um, I thought I was going to be a sports anchor and uh, I did all the, you know, all the classes and everything. And I had a professor tell me uh, like very early on, like the first week of class, uh, one of the, one of the broadcasting classes, and he said, so what do you want to do? And I said, I want to, I want to be a sportscaster. And he's like, you mean local network? And I said, and I said, my goal is 10 years after graduating from college, I want to be at a network. And he said, well, you better hope somebody in the South or in Oklahoma hires you because with that twang, you're not going to get a job anywhere else. And I said, what twang? What are you talking about? Yeah. And he said, well, you need to go live with somebody from Brooklyn. Uh, because I used to say hi and bye and how y'all doing. And, and I, that's, that was my voice. Sure. And so I lived with uh, a couple of buddies from my fraternity who were from Brooklyn. Um, and they would, I mean, they were very Brooklyn. Uh, you know, they would say, Hey, I got a three o'clock class or I got a sore throat today. 
And so I lived with those guys, and that's kind of how I picked up being able to do some different accents. Yeah. Uh, but I eventually came around to more of a kind of a neutral, I, I guess, kind of Midwestern accent. Yeah. Um, and that, right when I got all that perfected, the broadcast journalism industry uh, kind of fell apart with deregulation. So uh, jobs were few and far between, uh, partially because they were opening little bitty TV stations in Ada, Oklahoma and Colby, Kansas and everywhere like that, but there weren't the ad dollars to support them. Mm. So I had buddies getting jobs out of college a year ahead of me and within six months they're laid off because there's no money. So, uh, yeah, about that time I, I, uh, I figured out there was probably a different path I needed to look at. <laughs> gotcha. So you, um, so you, you majored, did you, did you finish with a degree in broadcast journalism? Yeah. Radio, TV, film, uh, production, uh, was the, <laughs> was what it was called and I've never done any of it really. Yeah. Um, and I left college and went to work at what's now the Big 12 Conference. It was the Big 8 back in those days. And I had put myself through college working in the athletic department's sports information office. Okay. And so I knew, I knew the guys that I wanted to be. I knew the broadcasters and the writers and, you know, and folks from Sports Illustrated and, and, and some of the other publications. And so I, I worked amongst those folks uh, in and around Oklahoma State Athletics. And just kind of one thing led to another. And uh, after an ill-fated trip to California where I thought I was gonna try to work in the movie business, I, um, I ended up back in Kansas City with a guy who was my boss at Oklahoma State in the athletic department. And he hired me as an intern you know, making $220 a month and lived in a little apartment in Kansas city, uh, with a degree, mind you. Yeah. And I was happy to be where I was. Uh, I, I didn't really have interviewing skills. Uh, I had good people skills, but, uh, I certainly could not have gone into a, you know, Procter and Gamble or any kind of big branded company, um, and, and gotten a job with my background. Well, and I think, you know, and certainly in today's world, there's a lot of value placed in internships. And so, you know, I think to, to think, you know, back in the day without any sort of, you know, specialized internship or anything like that, because I worked in, you know, I, I worked in a grocery store and a drug store and I did, you know, I parked cars for, um, for a distributor. And so all those things didn't lead to anything with my first job. It was just a way to make, you know, paycheck. Sure. But I think in today's market, people are a lot more specialized. And to your point, you know, if you if you've gone to, you know, a couple of intern summers with Procter and Gamble, obviously it might lead to a position. But if you come out not having any connection to them, it's a little bit tougher. So tell me how you um, how you adjusted to your first job just without any sort of specific experience. Yeah. You know, there's one thing that has served me well over the years, and that's uh, being flexible and adaptable. Um, I, I wasn't, you know, I had not gone down the path of really specializing. So I was kind of a jack of all trades, master of none. Mm -hmm. And for me, ultimately it worked out great because I wasn't locked into being an engineer or I wasn't locked into, you know, being some other highly specialized, uh, you know, skilled worker. Uh, and, and so as I went through the process of kind of, as I've changed careers over the years on, on a number of occasions, what I found was not only being adaptable, but building your network. There's not a job I've ever 
gotten that didn't come from a warm handshake. Somebody I already knew, uh, somebody who knew my abilities, trusted me. I mean, that's when I moved from the internship making, you know, 500 bucks a month to Miller Brewing Company making what I thought was King's Ransom kind of money with a company car. You know, I got that job because I knew people, not because yeah. I was more qualified than anybody. Uh, I, I just, I had the right temperament. I had the right attitude. Um, I had the right people skills, uh, you know, and so that's really what, what has become more valuable than anything. And I know you and I are LinkedIn power users every day. Yeah. And, and I, m- my career has been made really from that sort of approach. It's, I mean, that is a powerful lesson for anybody to really understand. And, you know, it took me a while to get that, you know, whether it was just trying to get out of the hole I dug my freshman year in college, mm-hmm. thinking I could, you know, do all this on my own and, and having to really learn from others and, and figure out that, you know, it kind of takes a village to help you with a lot of these things too. Like you said, you know, getting into a company and sort of you've got, you know, a company that gets, you know, thousands of resumes every week or every month you got to find a way to distinguish yourself and it doesn't matter if you're looking for a job or if you're in the sales field and you're trying to build those relationships. It's, it's, it's really is paramount. I mean, I think that's one of the soft skills that people really need to figure out how to do early and, and master it. Cause the other thing too, I've seen people do is, you know, everyone gets like, if you're getting ready to change a job or you've, you know, been let go from a job or whatever, everyone's a power user in, in LinkedIn. Right. Yeah. But it's, it's, building and maintaining those relationships when you, you know, in harsh words, when you don't necessarily need it. But I think, you know, you want to be consistent and you want to be in, uh, intentional about yeah. making and, and keeping those relationships because you never really know. And it's not just about, oh, if I want somebody so that if I lose my job, I've got a place to go. But it's also those open doors to opportunities yeah. that you may never even know about. Um, companies start up and things happen. And, you know, I think that network is really a key component to that. Well, it it is. And it's probably as important as anything, uh, if not the most important thing. And I think the other part of it, Paul, and you and I have both have both seen this is that network that you're building is a great value. That's yours, right? Mm -hmm. That is your, 2,500 connections or, or 10 connections or however many you have. The, the other part of it is we use it to help ourselves. But I, there's a lot of satisfaction I get when people reach out to me for help. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you experience that, when somebody says, especially now when we, 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 you know, we know folks who have been furloughed or have been downsized and they reach out, maybe you haven't heard from them in forever and it's really easy to go, Oh, sure. Reach out to me when you need something. Sure. Right. Right. Um, but I think that's the other purpose of it, you know, from, from a, the perspective of humanity, you know, we're here to help each other. And I, there, there's not a lot we can always do for other people, but if I can make a connection for somebody who needs a job or, or is looking to make a change, I, I'm happy to do that. And I, and I probably get, you know, three or four a month. Uh, of those kind of requests. And I'm always yeah. happy to do that because I know what people have done for me. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of pay it forward. Cause you, you, you're right. There's been people that have opened doors, whether you recognize it or not mm-hmm. um, to help you along the way. And, and uh, it's no different, you know, for younger folks today for us to be able to help out and guide and, 
you know, offer any sort of words of wisdom or introductions as needed. Absolutely. Yeah, that's cool. So um, Miller, so you got, you got to Miller Brewing Company. Um, how did you wind up getting to Atlanta? Or was that, was that job actually here in Atlanta? That was. That was uh, here in Atlanta in the old offices that were uh, somewhere in the Vinings area. I think it's at the Overlook building, which is still there. I, although Miller, I'm pretty certain, doesn't have an office there anymore. Yeah. Um, but I, I did that. Um, and it was it was a great brand role. It was a marketing coordinator role. Uh, I traveled all the time, which for a kid who had never really traveled much was amazing. Yeah. Uh, you know, I travel for a week somewhere, uh, land back at Hartsfield, drive to my apartment, uh, you know, off Cobb Parkway, unpack, do laundry, repack, go back to the airport that night for a late flight to somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, and that was, you know, that's kind of living the dream when you're 24. Yeah. And, I remember we talked off offline yeah. and that was, that was a pretty cool job for, you know, right out of college and, and, you know, doing some pretty fun things at Miller sponsors. And yeah, yeah. it's uh, definitely a, a good way to sort of see a slice of, society that you don't normally get a chance to, right? Well, it's really, you know, a lot of that is really like just the stuff you see on TV. You know, we had a chance to do a lot of programs and promotions with the, what used to be the Miller Lite All-Stars and nobody today could pick them out of the lineup. Maybe you and I could, but I mean, I, you know, I remember having to go to the airport and picking, uh, picking up Lee Merriweather at, you know, 1230, you know, midnight, um, for a promotion that started at eight o'clock the next morning. And she was, you know, she was the doll in all of Mickey Spillane's commercials. And yep. she was a, an actress in her own right. And uh, I mean, this, I'm, I'm a skinny, scared little 25 year old at the time, <laughs> you know, and I'm there, I'm the official representative of Miller Brewing Company. Uh, and, and uh, you know, here this famous, relatively famous actress gets off the plane and hunts me down and sees my Miller golf shirt, and uh, that's not anything I could have done in any yeah. other role, you know. And so yeah. it was, it was unique experiences, which I'm thankful for. But it was also where I learned business uh, because I didn't really know anything about business mm -hmm. when I went to that role because I'd been in PR and I'd been in sports and. Um, it was very different in those days. It wasn't, uh, you know, team sports and college sports were not the business then that they are now. Yeah, it's, it's become a real machine now. It really has. And you've got professional NBA, you know, level marketers and executives uh, that come from big companies and they go run uh, college athletic departments or they go run NFL teams. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in the old days, these were all like former coaches. You know, and that was the matriculation, right? You just coached for a bunch of years. Then you found an athletic director job somewhere. Um, and, and that's how you kind of rode off into the sunset. Uh, today, the sports business is, is much different. In fact, I rarely remember anybody referring to it as sports business. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point because it, it has truly evolved. It's gotten more specialized and certainly, um, you know, uh, much more mature in terms of it's a, it's a business and industry. Well, the money is, is ridiculous. Um, yeah. you know, you, you hear these college athletic departments today talking about the impact of the pandemic on their business. And it's in the, you know, the, the many, many millions of dollars, 50 million, hundred million dollars a year they'll lose if they don't play football or if yeah. they don't play any fall sports. I mean, it's, it, that revenue drives, a tremendous amount of activity across the university landscape. Yeah, for sure. 
that's that's interesting. So um, you and I met at Shop Visible. They were a startup e-commerce software mm-hmm. development company. Mm-hmm. Um, you were there before I got there. And how did you go from doing these Miller sponsorships and some of the really cool things you did into the software development business? Well, I went from Miller more into the agency business. And so I, I always refer to myself as a recovering agency executive um, because that's, a, that's an incredibly challenging competitive business. Um, but I learned a lot. So I really went from, you know, this big brand like Miller, which at the time was owned by Philip Morris. So I went from that into the small agency world. I never even worked for a really big agency. I just, uh, I worked my way up through some smaller shops and uh, found my way to some leadership roles and uh, kind of went through that process over, you know, 10, 15 years, probably Mm -hmm. Uh, moved around some. And got to got to really use the skills that I had, you know, I had uh, come to be good at, I guess, uh, which is really about marketing and sales and, and people skills and, and relationship building and making those valuable, you know, not 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 so much valuable to me personally, but really valuable to the customer, valuable to the companies involved. And, and you know, my view is if you do that, your value will shine through. Yeah. And, and so, and that's, you know, that's for me when I, when I do talk to college aged um, people, you know, that's one of the things that I always talk about. And my son's a senior at Georgia state and, and, you know, we have those conversations is where, you know, where's the value. You kind of have to pull the value out of every day, out of every page of a proposal. You know, it's the, it's the, so what like, Hey, I'm here. Okay. (laughs) You're here. What do now what are you doing? And so it's, but it's also being able to then communicate your value. So I, I went through that, that kind of agency matriculation and uh, you and I actually almost crossed paths at Earthlink uh, like in 2005. I think I'm not That's sure right. we were there exactly at the same time, but we were close. Yep. Um, I was up in retail marketing and you were down on the first floor with all the smart people. <laughs> and, um, and, and then, when Earthlink downsized significantly, I think 900 folks were, were sent packing all in one day. Yep. And uh, you, I, couldn't, I couldn't get a sniff of a job interview in Atlanta. But I had developed a reputation for knowing how to get things done. And I was reliable. I was uh, you know, punctual. All the things our moms tell us to be, right? And... And so I would have guys that were leaving Earthlink going into new marketing roles and they would call me and say, Hey, I need a brochure, you know, um, I, but I only have $1,500 or I need a trade show booth, but I only have $5,000. And I just, I, it was a little bit of radar O'Reilly uh, for mm-hmm. anyone who knows MASH. Yep. Uh, it was like, I just knew where, where things were. I knew who to call. I knew how to get things done. And that really ended up serving me well. And so I started my own little shop called Norwood Marketing Group. And I did that for four years. Did some work with eBay and Johnson and & Johnson and uh, SC Johnson and IHG and, and different companies like that. And, um, and then I did some work with uh, Shop Visible. And um, after, you know, six months of kind of contract agency type consulting, uh, the CEO asked me to come on full time and start the services uh, function there, and and so to me, I had 
I had enough technology interest and I can't really say any knowledge, but I had enough interest in it where I was at that, I was at that crossing point where I've either got to continue in marketing, you know, and I was a retail guy, a sales promotion guy, or I need to shift and look at what technology is going to be doing over the next 10 years, 15 years. And, and can I learn it? And can I be, uh, can I be proficient at it? And can I add value? Yeah. And so that's when, uh, you know, I, I had to, that's when I reinvented myself as they say, yeah. um, to become more of a technologist. And you can talk to my colleagues today. I'm still not the technologist they are, but I, I learned enough and know enough where, uh, you know, I could, uh, I could be beneficial to the company. And, uh, you know, so that's when I kind of, I had to, kind of say goodbye to the old ways and the old, my mindset of sales and marketing and technology and really embrace it and dig into it and and learn it. Well, this is another great example of being flexible and adaptable, like you were talking about earlier, but Mm -hmm. also you mentioned something about knowing your strengths or getting to leverage some of your strengths. I think that's another critical component that, that younger people, if, if they, don't necessarily know what their strengths are too. There's certainly some tools out there that can help you kind of refine that. But I think that's really important too, because you, if you focus on your strengths, you know, you and I are sports guys. Anyways, I love sports analogies, but you know, if you're a great quarterback um, or if you're a good quarterback, you've got a really good arm, um, but you don't run well. Um, well then don't, don't work so much on your mobility, but mm-hmm. refine your arm yeah. because you're probably never going to turn into, you know, a four, three guy. You know, yeah. but if you can leverage what you've got and get better at that than most other people, you know, Peyton Manning was probably not working on a lot of his running skills, you know, but <laughs> he, he had other, tr- other strengths, right. That served him well. And so I think that's, that's a really, that, w- that took me a while too. Cause you know, you go through these, these uh, annual reviews and you know, people go, okay, we well, did this, this, this really well. Okay, cool. And then you sort of wipe that clean. You go, let's not even touch that. Cause you're good at that. But let's talk about the three things that you're weak at. And spend the next six months banging your head against the wall, trying to get better at this. So in some you can, mm-hmm. you know, and you can definitely see improvement. But at the expense of really refining your strengths, you're doing things that you may not naturally be good at and may not be able to derive, you know, a niche for yourself in an area that you can really blossom in. So that's a really good, I think it's a really good value to understand. Yeah, you know, I, I've learned a lot. Uh, I learned a lot as a younger person from my dad. Um, who did a lot of things in his career, some of which would make no sense to anybody. He owned a gas station, you know, he pumped gas at his own gas station early on. Um, But one thing he used to say to me, uh, and you know, dad stuff, it's, uh, he said a lot of things, but one thing he (laughs) said was a man has got to know his limitations. And, you know, if like, I'm a really below average right-handed golfer, and I, I would be a horrible left-handed golfer. So I'm never going to work on that. No matter how cool I think it would be to be a left-handed golfer, I'm just not going to work on it. Right. Uh, and I'm probably not going to work a ton on being a good right-handed golfer because I know how good I can get. Um, and it's not, you know, it's not going to make a difference for me if I practice, you know, 10 more hours a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can be better and more knowledgeable at understanding APIs and ETLs and 
you know, uh, different things like that relative to my work. Yeah. So it's, you know, you, there, there are things you can improve at professionally. And then obviously there's certainly things you can improve at personally. Um, so I try to, I try to focus on the things that matter and the things that I know I'm going to be average at forever. I let, I just accept the fact that I'm average. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where you can also leverage your network and things that you aren't excelling at where you can, you know, there's nothing wrong with sourcing out expertise and finding other folks as you build a team as well. So, so yeah, well, you, I think you, knowing, knowing those folks around you and, you know, the old adage of, of if you're the smartest person in the room all the time, you're in the wrong room. Yeah. And so to your point, you know, leverage, leverage that network because it, it, it can be far more than just a job hunting network. You know, yeah. it's, it's a value, it's a valuable network of, you know, knowledge and information and connections. Uh, you know, if you want to cook a special meal for your wife, but you don't know how to turn the stove on, there's a lot of ways you can you know, figure that out. Right. Right. That's true. So, um, so tell me a little bit about where you are now. What's the role that you're doing these days? Sure. I, uh, I'm one of many directors of enterprise sales at, at Yext. And Yext is a public company, uh, about 11, 12 years old. I've been there almost five years. And um, we are a, a SaaS software company. Uh, we started, you know, in the beginning as a location data management company, which was helping companies get their location data right online. So, uh, you know, with the internet and, and algorithms and scraping and indexing, you know, data, unprotected data can change every few days. Yeah. Um, we figured out a way to not let that happen, but we've really evolved now after a dozen years into uh, a company that's really focused on helping our customers answer the questions that are most important to their customers. And so we're, we like to say we're the answers company. So when, when your customers have questions, you have to answers. Uh, and so it's, it's really about search. It's about SEO. Uh, it's about being able to be the authority, you know, making brands the authority on their public facing information. Mm-hmm. So it's um, there, you know, there's only, 40, 50 hours of conversation we can have about the company and the depth of it and the leadership and the growth and where we're going and, and what we want to do and, um, and so forth. But, uh, you know, we're, uh, I like this company. Um, I feel incredibly blessed to be there right now. Um, we, we have good stability. Um, uh, you know, we're, as I mentioned, we're a public company and, and have been for about three years. So it's, it's been a, a pretty, uh, amazing time of my life, and, and I've learned I've learned more about technology in the last you know five years than I than I knew altogether prior. Um, so I count myself to be incredibly lucky uh, to be there with this company right now. That's awesome, and that's amazing to be at a company that you can you know not only can they leverage your strengths, but you can continue to grow and evolve in your professional. Uh, career. So, um, yeah, there's a, you know, there's a lot of enablement. There's a lot of training. Um, they invest in people, um, you know, and so there's, uh, it, I mean, it's, you know, I was describing next to one of my friends that I used to work with way back in sports marketing, uh, those days. And he was like, wow, you're with a big boy company. And so, <laughs> you know, we matriculate to those places over time. Yeah, and it's been uh, it's been amazing just in five years to watch how our how the company's changed. 
Um, and at the same time, to be able to talk to my friends outside of the company who recognize that I have changed and I've learned new things and I'm doing, uh, you know, uh, a function that's very different for me. So it's, uh, yeah. it's really gratifying. Um, you know, I owe a lot to the company for sure. That's awesome. You know, I think about, um, I don't know, there's one of those, it wasn't necessarily me, but one of those stories that kind of makes the rounds on LinkedIn and Facebook. And they were talking about, you know, I think these were like leaders in a company talking about investing in their people. I'm like, well, what if we give our employees like all this training and then they leave? And they said, well, just imagine if we didn't invest in them and they stayed, yeah. you know? So I think it says a lot about a company in the, you know, the foresight to really make sure that their people are getting better and growing. Mm-hmm. And if they're happy in their job, like you just described, and I, I feel the same way about mine, um, that, you know, you're, you're going to get better. You want the company to do well and you're, you know, not only are you helping the company, but they're helping you and you're growing as well. So it's, it's all in all, it's a, it's a good thing. Yeah, so what, it, it is. It's, it's been, um, it, and I've never worked for a company of this depth and breadth before. Um, you know, so it's amazing to watch. I mean, we, we, we laugh a lot of times about the amount of training that we, we are required to do it, you know, but I mean, they're investing that money, you know, uh, to provide that training to us. Uh, and ultimately it's a, it's a tremendous value because it helps us do our jobs better. I know the company's been voted, you know, one of the top places to work in New York city at our headquarters. So there's a, there's a lot of high value there. And I just feel really fortunate to, to be just, my, my role here in the Southeast and I feel really lucky. Yeah, that's cool. And you know, you're just talking about, you know, kind of what the, what the business of Yext is in where you're sort of demystifying, you know, some of the data, there's all kinds of ways to collect data, but it's hard to sift through all that and figure out what's the trend or what's the right thing to do or the right decision point. So I think companies like Yext that gives business leaders the insight about what's going on, how to leverage that is, is really powerful. Well, you know, it's taught me also and made me reflect on other circumstances and situations I've been through, you know, in the last 30 years, you know, we do that thing called discovery, you know, so I I don't have anything to sell anybody until I know what their problems are. Right. Um, You know, it's the, the one good thing is, you know, at this point in the maturity of our company and some companies get it early, some people get it late. You know, we figured out pretty early, we don't want to be a solution that has to go find a problem. You know, we know, we know there's a problem out there. And so you go through that process of discovery and finding out what your prospects need, what kind of problems are they facing? And somebody, I was having a conversation with somebody recently, and we talked about that's the same thing that happens when you're interviewing for a job or when you're looking for that first opportunity. Uh You know, discovery goes both ways. The company wants to ask that college graduate about their background or about uh, their skill set or what their interests are, but also being able to be curious enough to want to find out about, uh, you know, about a company you're interviewing with as a potential employer becomes really important. You know, obviously the last thing you want to do is be in an interview and have the interviewer ask you if you have any questions and you become Mr. Know-it-all and go, nope, not one. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's the, that's the, we, you know, we prepare for these conversations and that's the same thing from a, from an interview perspective. Yeah. It's a great point. So a um, couple things have happened in 2020 <laughs> that's changed everyone's, you know, working style, but 
Tell me a little bit about the impact COVID's had to you. I know in the sales industry, obviously travel is important. I'm in the consulting business, same thing. Mm-hmm. How has that affected your your day to day and week to week life? You know, we're all you know, just like a lot of a lot of folks who work in the field. Uh, most of us are home based, so um, that really hasn't that part of it hasn't been that big of an adjustment. Where I stub my toe is I could make a couple of appointments, jump in the car and drive to Nashville for a few days and meet with customers or prospects. I could go to Birmingham, jump a flight over to Charlotte. So some of those impromptu, um, you know, opportunities, those are, those are, you know, on the shelf for right Mm -hmm. now. Um, Kind of even more challenging though, was working with the family around, you know, and so, you know, they're either going to school or wherever and, you have the house to yourself. You can, you can have random phone calls. You can really kind of be, you know, play it fast and loose because I would, I, you know, I kind of like moving around the house a little bit with the laptop and just different scenery. And I would run to Starbucks and work for half a day just to give yourself a change of scenery. Um, so the, the biggest adjustment has been no travel and just kind of, you know, playing tic-tac-toe with the family and them not getting in my way, me not getting in their way um, and, and just kind of navigating through that. Um, you know, and I, and I consider myself to be one of the lucky ones in that way because I've got everything set up at home. I didn't have to restart, you know, or build an office or do anything. So um, from that perspective, it hasn't been uh, that difficult, but I do, you know, I talk to my customers uh, and, and prospects, uh, you know, on a regular basis and they want to go back to their offices. They're tired of being at home because they don't typically work at home. So it's, it's a little different for everybody, but fortunately mine hasn't been too big of an adjustment. Gotcha. How about, um, you know, we were talking about networking earlier and I know you've been past president, uh, AIMA. Mm-hmm. Um, how is the networking professional networking, you know, circuit, if you will, how has that been affected this year? Have you, um, have you yes. had to adjust some things? Yo, sure. Yeah. It's really forced people to get more creative with what they're doing. Um, You know, I know that uh, for AMA, which is the Atlanta Interactive Marketing Association, um, and probably other professional organizations as well, you know, the the big um, after hour, you know, after work happy hours, the content presentations uh, where we would, you know, meet up at some particular venue and spend two hours uh, with people we know and like, and we would listen to a speaker, uh, you know, have a beer and, and network and socialize. And that's mm-hmm. how we kept up with each other. Now, uh, you, you know, you, it's all, it's all done on online. And I, I will tip my hat to those who have gotten really creative at it. And, you know, they do cooking uh, shows on a zoom meeting after they pitch something about digital marketing. That's awesome. And so, and I've seen this both at our company uh, at Yext um, and others as well, but certainly, you know, in the, in the professional organization circuit where there's not a ton of money, uh, you can, you can potentially reach way more people. Um, You know, you, you hear people these days talk about why, you know, I used to be on the phone like three times a day. Now I'm on the phone eight times a day Yeah, because they're not, you know, they're not running from the airport. 
They're, you know, they're, they're not stuck in a hotel. They're not in places where they can't talk. Most people are pretty much available all day. Yeah. And if you wanted to fill your day up, you could. But I, I really think what the professional organizations have done creatively, I've even seen award shows done, you know, online through Zoom. Um, it's, it's pretty amazing how creative people are. And I think the other part of that is we, as constituents of those organizations, we have to be willing to go that direction. Um, you know, and really engage and participate because as easy it is as it is to log in and participate, it's way easier to not. And it's, you know, it's way easier to uh, not pay attention. So Doug, last question for you. What, uh, what advice would you give to a younger you based on what you know now? Um, if you had to go back to when you were in school or starting your first job or anything could be even work-life balance, uh, anything that you would offer up to yourself that maybe you didn't prioritize or didn't uh, take into account? Who? Oh, wow. Yeah, I think it goes back to a little bit of what I mentioned earlier, um, is always be flexible, always be adaptable, be willing to learn. Uh, you know, when I, was, when I was that age, I really thought I had it nailed, right? I, I knew pretty much all I needed to know, and, um, <laughs> and I was wrong. So... It, it, for me, it was really about be willing to be the guy that always has questions. Uh, don't be shy. Don't be afraid. If people think any question you ask is stupid, uh, it's probably really not. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, so I, I kind of suffered through that embarrassment of not knowing things because uh, I, I spent years being afraid to ask questions, you know, as a, when I was young. And, I, and I've, you know, I've learned the difference between asking a question and getting it right and just guessing and, and not looking quote unquote stupid when you don't know. Right. Um, so I, I think for me, it's just always, always be interested in things, uh, be curious. And this, these are all things I learned way too late. Um, you know, and so, somebody once said to me, if you want people to be interested in you, be interesting. Mm-hmm. And to me, that really, that encapsulates a lot because, uh, you know, for me, that's about learning and, and striving for new knowledge and, and, and trying to be the best you that you can be. Uh, if the best you is, uh, you know, I work hard and I mow my yards on the weekends, then be awesome at that. Um, you know, and if, if there's more to life than just that, you know, learn as much as you can about whatever's interesting to you. Um, and always, always be the hand raiser. If someone at, at work says, is anyone interested in working on this project? Be the first hand up. Uh, because hand raisers get recognized, they get noticed. Uh, you know, and then you back it up by doing good work, but always be a hand raiser. That's a good point. That's really good because it, it gives you opportunities that, you know, especially if others are not willing to do, you know, the... Um, mm-hmm. The hard project, you know, the one that's, you know, um, people have, you know, either been put in a negative light or whatever the case is. But, you know, if you can volunteer, get into something, and especially if you turn it around and you make it a, su- a success, that really mm-hmm. defines your personal brand, if you will, and, and can certainly enhance your value. Absolutely. And, and you know, and that, that has to start young. Uh, I even talked to my, my son, who's uh, my youngest, who's a freshman in high school is optics matter a lot you know how you act how you behave how you speak of course all of those things matter but being seen also matters 
that's kind of, you know, that piece of networking that we have to learn. Yeah. Uh, you know, put yourself out there, be visible, uh, you know, do the right things, uh, you know, be smart, ask good questions. Uh, you know, all the stuff that we kind of take for granted or look at as second nature now. Um, it, it's it's really, you know, have that combination of being adventurous and curious. Yeah. Great advice. Yeah. And I think that's that's certainly appropriate for any age, not just um, not just beginning your career or even still in school. But certainly we can we can always um, continue to lean on those characteristics and do better. Well, cool, man. Yeah, no doubt. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate your time. And um, I know that uh, you've got some really good life lessons here that I think the listeners will be uh, interested in and certainly appreciate. So thanks again for your time. You got it. Really enjoyed being on with you today. And uh, let's uh, get on the golf course soon. (laughs) Sounds good, man. I like it. All right. Take care. Thank you, Paul. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.